It's What's the Point from 538. My name is Jody Avergan. This week, one of my favorite reporters from one of my favorite websites, Julia Angwin of ProPublica. She does what we try to do on this show, albeit she does it much better than we do it. But that's show how data affects our lives in all sorts of deep and unexpected ways. She and her colleagues have an ongoing series called Breaking the Black Box, which is part of a larger series called Machine Bias. These articles are about how algorithms determine everything from the news we read to the price of products we see online to how prison sentencing is determined, and more importantly, how many of these algorithms lack basic transparency. We had a conversation in the 538 studios, and I started by asking her about her piece on Amazon and what she discovered about everyone's favorite shopping site. So we were looking at Amazon um, and the algorithm they use to determine which seller gets to sell you a product. So most people don't really realize that when they're on Amazon, there's actually hundreds of sellers offering each product. And Amazon has basically a kind of competition Uh, and an algorithm that sorts out all the offers and who's selling at what price and says they're going to show you the best offer they can. And they say their their algorithm is really objective and it's customer-centric. And, you know, Jeff Bezos has made a big thing about how Amazon is Earth's most customer-centric company. And, in fact, he's willing to lose the sale to a competitor if he can give somebody a better deal. And just to clarify, this is all because Amazon sells stuff itself, but then also has started to have third-party sellers in the mix as well. Yes. So Amazon in early days uh, was really only selling their own products. But in order to scale quickly, they decided to offer third-party sales as well. And now that's a huge portion of their business is third-party sales. But what we found when we looked at the algorithm and how it was making choices was that, in fact, Amazon is really giving itself a huge advantage because Amazon not only runs the sort of auction where and is also a participant, is one of the sellers. And so when it was one of the sellers, it won the auction a disproportionate amount of the time, three-quarters of the time. And basically, um, that's three-quarters of the time when they didn't have the lowest price. So they were really giving themselves a great advantage. And that's one of the things that we were looking for with this algorithm series is that when things are hidden behind an algorithm, it's sometimes harder to tell that Mm -hmm. they're giving themselves an advantage. And so our goal with this whole investigation was to show how do thing, how do algorithms have hidden biases that you wouldn't see unless you really analyzed a huge data set. Journalistically, what was the germ here? Was like, were one of you just like trying to buy diapers and notice that the price was (laughs) weird? Or did you just say, I bet you something's going on with Amazon. Let's investigate. You know, it's interesting. Actually, the germ was like a lot of stories, something that turned out to be not true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what we heard was, oh, you know, if you shop on a different device like an iPhone or an Android or a different web browser, you might be getting different prices on Amazon. So we started testing that, and we couldn't find any evidence of that. And then somebody said, oh, maybe it's prime and non-prime, and we tested that. And so we sort of just were stumbling <laughs> around. Mm-hmm. And as we spent more time on Amazon... By the way, while stumbling around, probably really confusing the Amazon algorithm about what, <laughs> like who you are, right? It's like, why are they looking at all these random products yeah. on different devices and all? You know? but, yes. Right. <laughs> um, and getting captured a lot, actually, yes. because of that. But um, we ultimately noticed that there was a strange thing, which wasn't what we were looking for, which was that we noticed that when you clicked through to see who are all the sellers that is available for any particular product, they say that they're ranked by price and shipping. 
Mm-hmm. But actually, if you continue to put them in your cart, the ones that are sold by Amazon, that shipping wasn't included until you got to the cart. And so basically we noticed this weird thing where there wasn't really an appropriate ranking because if you would, if they had included their shipping price, they would have been much further down on the list. So this simple realization, mostly just based on stumbling around mm-hmm. Amazon, um, made us think, I wonder what's going on with this algorithm, right? Because it's they're hiding their shipping price in the place where they say they're transparent. So then we took a step back and said, okay, well, who's winning this auction and looked at those numbers. And then we add that to the fact that when you include the shipping price, which they hide, that it was even more unfair than it seemed at the surface. And so Amazon was basically privileging itself by not including shipping prices yes. and ending up selling stuff, which ended up being more expensive than you would kind of would have expected had it been a pure open marketplace. Yeah. And I think it's worth pointing out, like we were logged in as non-prime members. So we were – we used accounts that were not prime. We're not in there as a prime member because obviously people – the first thing everyone says when they hear this finding is, well, I don't pay for shipping because I have prime. Yeah. But you know, I just want to point out that there are a lot of people who don't have prime, sure. right? And, and the estimate is about 50-50 right now in the U.S. of prime and non-prime users. You know, Then the question is, well, Amazon said, okay, everybody who's not prime really, they just wait and get $49 worth of stuff in their cart before they check out. So that's really why it's not – deceptive and that might be true but the fact is that one way or the other they're saying that they're sorting it a certain way they're saying they're giving you the best deal and in fact you know we found that they they often give themselves a very significant advantage so why does this count as an algorithm that has a bias and is manipulating it as opposed to just like a dirty trick I mean, what's the algorithmic thing here, right? I mean, it's just kind of like simple deception on the part of Amazon, right? Yeah, that's a good point. But I mean, what is an algorithm, really? An algorithm is just a set of instructions to complete a task. And so anything can be an algorithm. Mm -hmm. And you can have a deceptive set of instructions or you can have a dirty trick set of instructions. Right, and it's a reminder that someone at some point is is creating the algorithm. And so you can always trace it back to the human and all their biases and all their incentives and so forth. Correct, and I think that that's one of the things that we keep running into with this series is that people are like, well, this isn't an algorithm or maybe it's not sophisticated enough as an algorithm. And all it really is, like you said, is just cover for some human decision. And that's exactly our point. Algorithms are cover for a human decision. People go to Amazon knowing that there's, you know, some computer magic yes. <laughs> going on. So how duped do you think Amazon customers really are in instances like this? And we'll talk about some of the other ways, some of the other things you found. Or does everyone kind of know that they're engaging with a computer that is probably tweaking stuff and then they just get to decide once they're sort of presented with the raw information? I mean, I'm not really sure what most people think, but I guess I would, my observation is that generally as a society, we're kind of in an age of innocence with technology. You know, I think a lot of people have very little skepticism about technology. They believe that Google is giving them the fairest, best results and that their iPhone, that Siri can answer most of their questions and that Google Maps is probably the best way to get anywhere, (laughs) right? And I think that, you know, based on where we all came from, which is most people were not that computer literate until they got a phone in their pocket 10 years ago, um, we're in a kind of age of excitement about technology. And there's a lot of hope. And I I, I believe that most of it is actually true and is going to be 
paid forward that we will have a better society because of all this technology. But people are not questioning sort of how these decisions get made and allowing more and more decisions to be automated. And that's what sort of the impetus for this series was just, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a bias in your decision making, but we need to illuminate that Mm -hmm. bias. And we need to be aware that every time we outsource one of these decisions to our machines, that's just allowing some other morality to take place. Whoever coded that machine inserted some sort of decision making rules that may or may not be totally the same as your own morals. And I guess that's why you call the series the black box, not just the box. It's okay to have a box, but it's the transparency issue that's really at the heart of this. Yeah, and I think that's the real issue with Amazon, too, is if they said, look, you know, this is our store, and we're going to give ourselves every advantage here, people might be fine with that. But they don't say that. They say, we're giving you, the customer, this special fancy algorithm to give you the best deal. So I want to I get to Amazon's response because they have gotten back to you about this. But you did mention um, about how Amazon both runs the platform and is one of the sellers and is kind of um, a third-party broker or whatever. Is there a conflict of interest there both like ethically but also potentially legally? I mean is there any regulation that's at play here about whether you can just be that – vertically monopolistic i'm i'm starting you know i'm i'm, I'm dodging, trying to dodge specific language that i know has legal implications but you know what i'm saying i think it's a question i think it's a fair question because if you look at a very comparable case which is the case that the eu antitrust officials have brought against google it's a very similar situation which is they're saying google has taken its uh, fairly won search monopoly, meaning they won it by being the best search guys, and so everybody uses them for search, and is unfairly extending it into other fields. And the one of the examples is shopping, so that they give uh, privileged results to their own shopping platform and not to other comparison shopping results. And by the way, their own shopping platform, Google's, is a pay-for-play situation, so only vendors who pay them get shown in those results. And so the EU has brought a case against Google that's still pending, saying that's an unfair extension of Google's monopoly. The U.S. uh, Federal Trade Commission considered a similar case against Google a few years back, but the staff recommended pursuing the case, and the commissioners overrode it. And, you know, it's not clear why. But I think it's fair to say that that type of behavior is something that antitrust officials look at on both sides of the Atlantic. What was Amazon's response to your investigation? Amazon's response was, look, uh, this doesn't matter because people mostly use free shipping. And so um, we are designing our site for those people. And okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that doesn't really excuse why the site was designed in this way to suppress their shipping costs for the people who aren't using Prime, right? No, it doesn't address that issue. And I think the other thing that it doesn't address is that these are pretty significant price differences. So um, we found that the average difference between sort of what you were shown and and what would happen if you actually went all the way to checkout for something that you thought was the best deal, that was presented to you as the best deal, uh, was $7 per item. So, you know, that can add up pretty fast. We'll get back to the conversation in a minute, but first, a word from this week's sponsor. 
What's the Point is brought to you by Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from. It's also important that you put those ingredients to use by finding a time to cook and making meal preparation easy to do. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best. And it's easy. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe and pre-portioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com point. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Go to blueapron.com point right now. Blueapron.com point. Okay, back to the show. So let's move beyond Amazon and start to spin it out to some of the other investigations you've done. But um, to take a step way back, like you asked this question in this video on, on your site about this series, are you being optimized or are you being monetized? Mm-hmm. And um, I love that question. And I just <laughs> am curious if you can elaborate on why you think that's such a central question for this machine bias black box thinking. Well, I think it goes back to sort of what I was saying about our general sort of naivete about technology, which is that, you know, companies say to us, oh, I need all your personal data and I'm going to optimize my website for you and your whole experience is going to be customized and, you know, and so there's a lot of, um, that's the premise of a lot of data sharing that happens. And the truth is that sometimes... I guess you're getting a better, more optimal experience. Facebook is using all the information you give them to make choices about what news they think you might read, and perhaps they are doing a better job than what you might have done yourself. It's hard to do a controlled experiment, but let's give them that just theoretically. But the truth is that their real goal is monetization, right? That the fact is they don't get paid by us. Like we don't pay Facebook. We don't pay Google. We use these services every day. And the way they make money is by packaging up our data and information and using it to lure advertisers. And they're in a huge race to know more and more about us so that they can get more of the advertisers to their camp. And so that video we did was just sort of try to remind people that, like, when you're thinking about algorithms, the very first thing you have to think about is, well, what's their goal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the goal of that algorithm is not actually to serve you it's to make money but at at the end of the day you still end up with a site that feels like it's customized to you it's just that the incentives for why that site exists are mismatched yeah exactly and so those kind of incentives being mismatched may or may not matter right like for some people i think it's pretty upsetting when their facebook news feed is suppressing news that they think is important and um and are really upset about that. And there's been huge debates about Facebook's newsfeed. Mm-hmm. Um, for other people, it's a lower stakes proposition. And they know they can find the news they want if they go look for it. But I want to know what's that? I'm, I'm curious about the outer edge of your cynicism yes. here. Okay. okay? Sure. So, like, do you think there is any part of the Facebooks and the Googles uh, or, and the Amazons of the world that care about just making a good experience for just – for goodness sake. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course they do because you they need you to stay also, right? I mean, you still can go search on Bing. I don't know anyone who does, but 
right? There's some, they still have to try to make the experience mm-hmm. good enough, right? And so there's definitely a lot of, of focus on user experience. I'm, I'm not that cynical. <laughs> right. Um, so some of the other things that have become part of this, um, you, there's this piece about the Princeton Review mm-hmm. and how when you, you, there are radically different prices for test prep uh, at mm-hmm. the Princeton Review. So explain what you found there, and this goes to some pretty interesting places. Yeah, so what we found was that Princeton Review was offering different prices for the same online SAT course to different zip codes. So before you could get a price, you would go to the website and it would ask you for your zip code. You put it in, mm-hmm. and you would actually get a different price. In some areas, it was $6,600. It's a very expensive online course. Yeah. And uh, other places, it was as high as 8400 So that's a really big difference. So what we did was we were like, well, what is the logic behind this? So we, of course, downloaded all of the prices and zip codes and matched them up to the census to see, was there some correlation what type of neighborhoods were getting these higher prices? And there were one thing that was probably obvious, which was higher income neighborhoods were mm-hmm. getting higher prices. But one thing that was really surprising, which was that areas with higher Asian populations were also getting higher prices. And so that was a surprising outcome. So I want to get your thoughts on the what, what, what do you think the implications of that are? But it is a nice like data mining, data journalism lesson here that yep. sometimes you just want to like try everything and then see what pops as opposed yep. to go fishing for, you know, testing a particular thesis in yes. advance. Right. Well, that's all of my life is one yeah. fishing expedition, <laughs> actually. Like, just like running, <laughs> running scripts and running yes. and, and diving into data sets and then sort of like being attuned to something that pops up and say, oh, this is, this yeah. is a little off. Right? Well, we're really early. Like there's not a, like a whole field of algorithmic yeah. <laughs> accountability journalism. So basically we're constantly, you know, when we were testing all these Amazon theses, that was like one of 10 different tests we're running in the cloud at any given time. And even now we're running, you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of things. So we're, we're constantly just throwing stuff against the wall because we don't actually really know how widespread or how much all this stuff is happening. What was it like to see that correlation um, between eight higher Asian populations and higher prices? And what do you think's behind that? Well, we thought it was really surprising. And we at first, of course, asked ourselves, well, is it because Asians are really wealthy or something? But it wasn't true, right? The, there were plenty of Asian populations, like, for instance, in Queens that are low income and were getting the highest possible prices. Uh, so, you know, honestly, I'm not sure why it happened. When we spoke to Princeton Review, they said, I think very convincingly, that it was not intentional and that they'd drawn these boundaries based on what they said was the cost of labor in those markets, despite the fact that it's an online course. And... Um, it seemed inadvertent. Uh, And that's one of the things I think is probably true a lot of times with algorithms is that if you're not looking to see whether the outcome is biased, you might not notice it because you you probably draw these maps that make sense to you for some business reason Mm -hmm. or another. But in fact, you know, they have this other outcome that you wouldn't know about. Right, and it's that, so it's that classic question of whether the algorithm is just reflecting a real-life bias or is perpetuating one and the answer is probably both right at some point Uh, the problem is right now that is not illegal right so you can have disparate pricing by zip code it's not illegal uh and as long as there was no intentionality to the race-based aspect of it that's not um there's no legal reason you would try to avoid it which means no lawyer is going to come in internally and make them test for it but the upshot here is that in communities that stereotypically value education more they're being 
gouged, if that's the right word to yeah, use. Yeah, I mean, you can't really use the word gouged because it has a whole bunch <laughs> of legal meanings. All sorts of legal implications, yes. But yes, they are. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they've clearly, you know, they may well have identified a population that's willing to pay more and, and no. charge them more. We don't know. Which, again, you know, is how business works. So, again, there's a slippery line. You go to any other city in the United States from New York and prices are cheaper and they're cheaper for all sorts of different reasons and places are going to charge what they can get away with. Yeah, I mean, this one was a little different because it was an online course. So, theoretically, it doesn't seem like it should be tied to the price in the market. Um, So, that's why it seemed strange, right? If we were talking about real estate, it would be a different story. So other than having a bunch of views running around and running a bunch of data and finding all these patterns and then writing an article and hopefully getting some attention for it, is there like a bigger underlying solution, a policy solution or just a, you know, our relationship with data solution that kind of can help prevent these things from happening? I mean, I'm not entirely sure what, there's probably a lot of things, like it's probably not just one solution, but one thing I think that is worth looking at is what the EU has done. So they've passed a new data protection regulation that goes into effect in 2018 that says that if you have been the subject of an algorithmic automated decision that is like high stakes, so credit, employment, that type of thing, you're entitled to an explanation of how that decision was made. It's modeled, I think, a little bit on our Fair Credit Reporting Act, which gives Mm -hmm. us the right to see the underlying data used in credit scores. And to me, that sort of model is something that we might want to consider applying to some algorithmic decisions that are high stakes. Now, I don't know whether Princeton Review or Amazon would count, but for instance, the story we did on criminal risk scores that are assigned to people to predict their future criminality that might be high stakes enough that we want to give people some due process rights around it, uh, if we want to use those scores at all, which is you know a right. And we've done a show. Question. We've done a show on the on, on that, by the way. <laughs> right. if people want to go find that. Um, but that's still on the like consumer information side of the right. equation, and not on the. And I've and we've I've had conversations on this show with people who are just incredibly skeptical of whether that's where the real change is going to yeah. happen because you can try and t- try and create plain language terms of service agreements yeah. and do all sorts of consumer advocacy and so forth, but at the end of the day, people are just going to live their lives and will that actually have an effect or is there some sort of much more systemic thing that needs to change? Well, I think that another thing to look at is the coalition of companies that have come together to try to come together for some standards around artificial intelligence and. Um, Surya, sorry, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, has called for algorithmic accountability to be one of the principles um, in any discussions on this. And so I think there's a kind of growing movement with the rise of artificial intelligence, which, by the way, is just a bunch of algorithms, right? Yeah. In a robot or 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 not even in a robot necessarily, but that we want to have some ability to hold machines accountable for their decisions. And so I have some hopes that perhaps this group or something that are, is similar to it around the conversations around artificial intelligence might also lead to some kinds of baseline standards. So, for instance, mm. you know, we all agree that uh, machines should never make decisions, you know, that involve life and death or incarceration or, you know, we, we might want to set some parameters around that. 
Um, or we might want to set some parameters around the way that those kind of algorithms are developed. Like it's, if you're going to develop those algorithms, you must test them for racial bias. You must test them for gender bias. And you must report out those results, right? So I can imagine those kind of things coming out. And that would be, I think, a great improvement. Is artificial intelligence the place where those conversations are going to happen? Because like the stakes are just feel much higher. Like it's clear, like, oh, gosh, we're getting into like machines thinking for themselves territory. Yes. So, you know, you kind of have those highest stakes algorithms gone wrong conversations and then hopefully they trickle backwards to the amazons and the you know seven dollar shipping fee kind of stuff (laughs) i hope so i mean i i have to say as a journalist who really is about exposing problems i'm always a little light on the solutions so i apologize (laughs) i'm really great at coming up with problems and then everyone yells at me like well what's the solution i'm like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i just found a problem i just worked really hard on this you can do do a little work thinking about it um so yeah but i've given you some thoughts on it but i don't have the i don't have the answer yeah so as a as a journalist as we start to wrap up here um you know, what What does feel – so you are doing something in this series on artificial intelligence. You've done f- Facebook algorithms. Um, you're doing A-B testing, which is kind of how – what different articles get spun towards different communities. Yep. Like what, what feels like the next black box you want to poke into? Oh, I have some coming down the pike. I don't know if I uh, can say anything sure. yet. But um, – but I think that there's so many fields. Like, actually, we're just at the beginning of this conversation, right? You know, there's automated algorithms for, like, choosing amongst all the piles of resumes that people get for mm-hmm. every job. And there's algorithms that are used um, for all sorts of really high-stakes things. There's algorithms used to set your insurance rates. There's algorithms used to drive your driving map and then send you to some neighborhood that's getting overrun by cars, you know. So um, I don't feel like there's any lack of material to investigate here. That's how I feel on this podcast. I like have a podcast about data and it's just basically nothing I can't talk about other than like – it'd be tough to convince like a comedian to come in and just like shoot the shit. Other than that, there's, data pretty much – Oh, you know there much to be data comedians. There's got, there's got to be one out there. I'll go find one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean it is – I mean that's the point here is that it's touching every aspect of our lives. Yes. And so you can use it as an entry point. It's almost every field. Yeah. It just only takes like <laughs> six months of heavy lifting and SQL databases yes. for each story. But you have a great team over there. You guys do, you know, really, really amazing work. So um, thanks for coming in, Thank Julia you. Angwin. Yeah, And everyone should go read your uh, – we'll link to your series on our, on our site and everyone should go read it. Thank you so much. What's the Point's editor is Chadwick Matlin. Jorge Estrada and Tony Chow are in the control room. Our music is by Rishikesh Hirway, host of the Song Exploder podcast. You should subscribe to that podcast. You can also find the music he wrote for this show on our website. My name is Jody Avergan. You can find me on Twitter or email me podcasts at 538.com with any ideas or comments about the show. You can subscribe to What's the Point in iTunes, the Google Play Store, or the new ESPN app. Wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. It really does help others discover the show. A quick plug for the new podcast series ahead of their time. These are audio documentaries about athletes and coaches who are underappreciated in their era, but through the lens of modern analytics, we can tell that they were ahead of their time. You can find it in the hot takedown feed or at 538.com slash podcasts. They're really great. We're proud of them. So check them out. That's it for this week's show. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you soon.